Hello from Temple Bear in Dublin. Thanks, Will.
You're very welcome to Season 2 of our Tradfest podcast. I hope you're all continuing to keep safe and well during these very challenging times. Together with our friends in Falcha, Ireland, we've decided to create this series of podcasts to connect with our listeners from around the world about how they are coping with COVID-19 during this period of lockdown. And we wanted to share these stories and experiences with you wherever you are. Each week, we'll have a chat with different people from the music industry across the globe. And, of course, you can't have a Tradfest podcast without a track or two. The Tradfest team and I have been keeping busy throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, making plans for Tradfest 2021, we are very happy to say. But in the meantime, wherever you are or whatever you're doing, Maybe you're still baking. Maybe you have enough of the baking. Maybe you're still walking. Enough of that too, maybe, or even gardening. We hope that this podcast will help while away your time until we are all together again in music at next year's Tradfest. And of course, as this is Tradfest, we always have a tune or two. That opening track was from Karen, recorded at Tradfest in 2019. This week, we're delighted to be chatting with Una McElinden. Una is the director of the National Celtic Festival in Port Arlington in Victoria in Australia. Una, normally at this time of the year, or indeed just last week maybe, you would have been in the middle of running your festival. But like so many I've spoken to in the last few weeks, you had to cancel this summer's National Celtic Festival in Victoria in Australia. That had to be a difficult call. Can you give us a little background on your decision? Well, I guess for us, um, we came to the decision quite early. So we cancelled our festival uh, basically the week that uh, the COVID-19 sort of started taking off. Um, And we did that because we thought the sooner we... It looked like it was probably going to be the end for us for this year. Mm-hmm. And we thought that if we can get in early, we actually, the practical thing would be to let people know so they can cancel things, accommodation and that sort of thing. And then also uh, we would stop spending money as an organisation and come out as at the best place financially, in the best financial position that we could. So uh, that's what we did. We made sure that... Uh, None of our internationals had actually booked their flights, so uh, that was another positive for us. Um, but that's and that was sort of another reason of getting in early, I guess. Mm. So, just give us an idea. Give us some of the numbers uh, regarding the National Celtic Festival in uh, Australia, in Victoria. So we're um, so we're situated near Melbourne uh, in a in a seaside town called Port Arlington. Uh, the festival runs over a long weekend. And it uh, has it programs across the arts. So we have a ticketed section of the event, and then we have non-ticketed. Um, doesn't quite get as wild as the Tradfest at night time, but uh, <laughs> we do attract a lot of <laughs> we do attract a lot of uh, of people who just want to come and and check it out. So we over the weekend we can have up to twenty thousand people uh, coming through the town. They're not all ticketed, and that's not all income for us. But uh, but it is a good thing to bring them to that region. So I presume then for Port Arlington, it's it's a huge uh, event each year. It's massive. It's only a small town, 
uh, actually with one pub, <laughs> which uh, is, of course, they have to be our best friends. Of course. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, it is a massive thing, and because we're a winter event as well, um, off season, uh, we we really keep those businesses going um, over the winter time. So it's certainly going to be very difficult. Then this year, I can think of the likes of let's say the Willie Clancy Summer School in Milltown Malba, which is a huge festival in a small village in West Clare, but it affects the entire region. I'm assuming that the National Celtic Festival would have a similar impact locally. Yeah, very similar. I've actually been to Willie Clancy School a couple of times myself, um, and not that it did me much good. <laughs> I get to that. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, it's very similar to that, and and we actually like to create that connection with um, with the I guess the the Celtic scene in Australia. So we like that feel. It's the it's the the feel of the of connecting up the cultural stuff that we go for. No, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned culture, of course, and the various aspects, and there's an international aspect. Where do you draw your artists from? Well, as a, as a, uh, a Celtic festival, we um, have as many international partnerships with um, countries that are at the core of that culture. So we look at um, partnerships, of course, with Ireland, Scotland, Wales, the Isle of Man. So we go across all of those um, Celtic countries and uh, try and build up collaborations. And really what um, I'm trying to do is connect to the heart of the tradition and the culture so that we can, as a diaspora country, Australia is often quite diluted. It can be diluted and we don't get great representation, particularly of those smaller sort of Celtic nations. Um, I'm thinking of the Isle of Man, or that you know we would Manx music is like as rare as hen's teeth, and rarer can, actually. And can you persuade some of the Manx musicians to go out there? Yeah, we've done that. So what we do is we target. We work. Uh, that's what I will do. I'll work with um, arts organisations and, and look at, okay, how can we break your um, culture and showcase your culture into our market. So we brought a band out called Barul, um, who were a very hot, amazing uh, trio from um, the Isle of Man. So a mixed traditional band. Uh, we've done the same thing with Wales because uh, we don't tend to get a lot of variety in, in Welsh mm. offerings here. So and it, yeah. from the point of view of Ireland, then what bands would you have brought out there? Well, we've, I've sort of got a soft spot of breaking bands into Australia and often it's events like yours that I will go to and see a band that nobody really knows in Australia. And often, you know, it's a bit of a risk to take an unknown band and they, uh, Australian festivals don't always do that. Uh, but I I guess I've, be, I've, I've been born into this scene and I've got a soft spot for um breaking people into this market. So, for instance, a band like Bioga, um, they came to our festival first and then have had successful tours of Australia since, maybe three or four successful tours uh, since that. But we broke them in. We tend to break them in in our wintertime, which is a time in Australia where there aren't many festivals. And the intention is then that they come back in, in, over the summer where there's a great big run of events 
and they come back and with a with already a profile from our festival. So we've had bands like oh Solace, uh, Eleanor McAvoy, uh, the Young Folk, Kevin Crawford, Patrick Ducey, Colin Farrell, John Carty, Kevin Burke. Uh, quite a lot over the years, um, and we actually very dis we had a cracking lineup this year uh, of Irish acts. So uh, pretty disappointed about that, but hoping that we can look at um, carrying through next year with the program that we had. So the plan for basically for the National Celtic Festival in Port Arlington in Victoria for next year is to possibly maybe bring this year's program out. Is that your plan? Um, so uh, we're, we're negotiating, we're, we're talking to people okay. and in fairness to some of these acts, there's a band I saw at uh, Tradfest actually, Boxing Banjo, um, who I've, I met two years ago and then I was caught up with them again this year and we had a big plan to break them into the Australian market. So bands like that, when you're saying, okay, we really want to, we think you'll go down well in Australia and we'll open, try and, I'll try and open the door for you. So bands like that, you're sort of thinking, well, you know, let's try and carry this through and, and um, keep to the commitment, basically. Well, when Boxing Banjo do eventually get there, I'm pretty sure they will impress. They're a good band or a lively band and a brilliant band of young musicians. Yeah, they're fantastic. I was really looking forward to breaking them in here. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, we've still got plans to do that. So, uh, yeah, there's been uh, – who else did we have? We had Der uh, Derry Farrell was coming over, Steph Jeremiah, uh, We've been chatting to back west about coming out at some stage. Now, I just want to go back a bit uh, on yourself, actually. I'm curious as to how you actually got started at the National Celtic Festival. What brought you to the festival itself or what brought you into this game, as it were? Well, like it or not, um, I, for me, <laughs> I was born into it uh, in a way. Um, my mother was an Irish dance teacher and my father was an Irish dancer. They ran, we grew up in a world where of folk clubs, of sessions, of gigs, and of course, Irish dancing in all different forms. So step dancing, Kaylee dancing, and then when, uh, set, when set dancing took off, uh, that, was, that was sort of the, the, the latest thing that we did. The set dancing? So, Set dancing, oh, yeah. Very interesting, yeah. Now, let's get mm. a bit of your background, though. You're not actually from Australia. No, well, we, we emigrated to Australia when I was 11, and I've been back and forth many times um, to Ireland and to England and that part of the world, I guess, Europe. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're an Irish family that uh, got dragged across to Australia. <laughs> And we're getting curious now. You mentioned Ireland. To us, it's a big place. So what part of Ireland? Well, my dad was born in Derry. My mum was from Coleraine. My granny from Dublin. And we had people from Cork. Yeah, I get why you're saying Ireland now. Yeah, one end to the other. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so... so uh, 
I'm going to take you from there now because you mentioned the Willie Clancy Summer School. So I'm taking it. Did you come there to? Did you come there to play a bit of music? Well, I did. Um, so, so we grew up Irish dancing mm -hmm. and um, have, you know, been steeped, I guess, in Irish tradition and Kayleys and all that sort of stuff for our whole lives. And uh, I picked up the fiddle when I was about 20 oh, yeah. and started playing the fiddle. Um, and I, I do play the Irish drum, but I, I went there with my fiddle and uh, I've played in I play I like to play sessions I like to play socially but I have played in a few Kaylee band type of things I guess not not half nowhere near your, your, what you think of, of a Kaylee band but da dance bands um, so I've played yeah and I've had lessons from people like Maura O'Keefe, uh, Ailish O'Connor, uh, Martin Hayes back in the day but that's a pretty. So, uh, that's pretty serious stuff. All those teachers there. <laughs> it might be just two lessons. <laughs> <laughs> did, but, um, did they have an impact? Yeah, they did. They really did. Um, and I learnt traditional. I learnt Irish. Irish. Um, I learnt by ear. So, um, and that's sort of that's. I'm sort of stuck with the, uh, you know, I guess. Lots of people will understand once you've learnt by ear, it's really hard to go back and read music. So um, basically I play by ear. More curiosity from my point of view then, if you're running the National Celtic Festival in Port Arlington in Victoria uh, each year, that's for a certain time of the year. What do you do with your other time? I know that you're a volunteer and that you get involved in, in, in different areas. Well, I've... Um, so now... So the festival was to celebrate its 18th year this year. And my role at, this, at the festival as the director of this festival really takes me now across the year. Uh, as the festival's grown, we've had to um, build up um, resources, I guess, and people. So I'm, I'm with the festival for the whole year, but uh, I do have quieter times. <laughs> like, for instance, now, um, where I have, do do other projects. So I've done things in the past, like I run other events, I've run concerts. Uh, when my mum was alive, we had set dancing and weekends uh, a couple of times a year. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm across a lot of different um, events, I guess, at the moment. I've done some teaching in... Uh, in events and yeah, I've worked event at event management, yeah. Yeah, and performing arts <clears throat> centre I've worked at. So I've had a, a quite a diverse sort of um, range of things, but at the moment I'm uh, focusing mainly on the Celtic Festival. I was the I was the uh, executive director of Folk Alliance Australia, which was connected to Folk Alliance International for five years, which took me. Uh, gallivanting around the place quite a lot so it's quite nice really just to be able to put um, my total focus on onto my passion I guess in a way. And I take it as well from what I know of you certainly that you're, you're very much a believer in arts in the community. I am yeah I, I, I'm, I'm pretty big on uh, connecting to the heart of culture and to the heart of people and connecting people 
and bringing people together, um, collaboration. Um, I just see the value, and especially now, you know, you see people trying to do it online and succeed, succeeding, but everybody's desperate to connect. And I love nothing more than bringing that together. And, um, you know, I love nothing more than at our festival to walk into a group of people and say to them, I didn't realise you know each other and they don't know each other. They only meet there once a year and they're best of friends from, you know, a Friday night Guinness or whatever it is. Um, but to me, you know, some of those sort of things make it worthwhile for me. And if people can um, come along and connect to the culture at the same time and go away, you know, feeling nourished, I, I guess, in Celtic culture, for me, that's that's it. And is there an appetite in Australia generally for Celtic culture? Yes, there is. Uh, <laughs> there is. It's it's um it's a little bit harder to find, um, but you have the. I'm going to say this, and I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Temple. I'm thinking of Temple Bar, but you have the Irish pub sort of scene, I guess, a little bit, a tiny version of Temple Bar. Uh, you have. People that play Irish music, you have a lot of Irish musicians that live in Australia who um, hook up with each other. And then you have uh, bands and sessions and it's, it's big. Mm. And then, of course, you've got Scottish. There's a lot of Highland gatherings and pipe bands and Scottish dance groups and community groups. I remember... Uh... Doing a tour actually in Australia and New Zealand, it was called the Celebration of Irish Music, the Guinness Celebration of Irish Music back in 1990. We played in some fairly big halls there. There was a huge audience for it there, but it seemed to be a lot of Irish. Yeah, well, there's, there's um, those, gee, those concerts were fantastic, weren't they? <laughs> they were good times. <laughs> they were really good. They, they were, they were, um, top class uh, acts that all came out. Um, At the time, we see there seemed to be a lot of Irish people, sort of uh, first generation Irish in the audience, mixed with an Australian audience. I just wonder if there's, you know, if it's like that, is it is it the, the Irish people who support the Celtic festivals or is it the Australians themselves now? It's a bit of everything. Okay. So um, the, and I guess it goes back to also to the, you know, the dilution of the culture in a way we've got the pure the diehard sort of purist um jet you know the first generation yeah. um immigrants um they're still all there and then we have the younger version of that we have a lot of backpacker not at the moment but the, the, a lot of backpackers and travelers um who all gather to like to gather together so the Australian, Australians do love it and they do look back on their own history. You know, Australia is um, founded on a lot of Celtic immigrants and, um, for, you know, settlers. Um, and our festival is actually looking at ways um, of connecting Indigenous culture to Celtic culture because what we've found over the last um, number of years when we've been looking into this is that often you'll have an Indigenous artist who has a Irish-sounding name, like Roach or something like that. And when you get to 
talk a little bit more to the Indigenous person who's normally programmed in an Indigenous strand. Um, we've approached them and asked them about their history and talked about their background. And often um, there's it, 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 a lot that often it's Indigenous Celts that we have. So because of that, those first settlers, so we might have the you know the, the father or the mother is Indigenous and the the other one is Irish because of the you know those early people. So we're looking at um, developing that, and we've also found that the uh, Indigenous people that we've spoken to are actually quite chuffed to be asked to explore that side of them because they are pigeonholed into just that one strand so um it's quite interesting to look at look at the um connections there i also noticed uh, una when i was getting ready to have a chat with you i was just looking at some notes and i did see one of your notes saying that the national celtic festival respectfully acknowledges the traditional owners of the land and the waters that you gather on for the festival it's important for you to acknowledge that it's yeah it very much is, um, you know, the land that we're on in Port Arlington is very significant um, cultural land for the Wathaurong people. Uh, there's birthing caves, there's middens, there's lots of sacred grounds. And I think, you know, the more that we can bring us, bring work together to celebrate on that land and celebrate the connection with the cultures, we do have ceremony. We we work with the local Wathaurong community to bring that together. So we're, we're really aware and of that and really aware of uh, making our offering very genuine and, you know, not superficial. Yeah, no, I think it's very respectful, I must say, uh, of the festival. It's, it's just a, it's a beautiful part of the festival that you do that. Just before we finish up, Una McAlinden of the National Celtic Festival in Port Arlington, a couple of little things. Uh, during the lockdown, okay, your festival was affected directly, but how has it affected Australia in general? Uh, well, I guess for us, um, I think it's similar for you that the, the art scene is on its knees, I guess, at the moment. We have a lot of artists who um, aren't eligible for government support um, so that's that's pretty hard at the moment a lots of the venues are still closed although they are starting today to um, announce that they will open gradually but really small sort of audiences um, I guess we've we've um, and each one each state in Australia has different um, has had different regulations as well, um, you know, depending on how many cases of the coronavirus they've had. We're, I guess, fortunate in a way that Australia's only had just over 100 deaths. And at the moment, there's only a handful of cases still in Australia. Um, but so as far as the arts, the arts community is broken at the moment. Um, the festivals are all in limbo, um, all the touring and all the, the talk of international travel is uh, daunting, I guess, to mm -hmm. see when that would ever happen, uh, considering that we have had, you know, we are in a bubble, I guess, with New Zealand, and we have had such a good, a good outcome, really, of, of 
not being too badly affected. I was just going to ask you, what kind of plans have you for putting the arts back together? Um, people are, well, there's, at the moment, there's lots of art, arts organisations and artists petitioning the government to um, support that industry. Um, that's one of the main industries that hasn't been supported. Um, and mainly because of the employment conditions yes. of the artists. So they're mainly job to job and there's no contract, and, which I'm guessing you have as well. So there's lots of work with the government happening, but also uh, lots of creative ways of how to bring it back. And uh, very, actually very positive. Everybody's quite positive and everybody's got a attitude of maybe having to adapt or change the way that we run things. A lot of the major festivals in Australia are, I guess you could say in, in like an area that's like a big field and fenced in and everybody's together. It's not not, not like um, Treadfest where you uh, walk around to different venues in the town. So people are looking at how they can adapt, how they can still bring a festival together, but maybe in a different way. Well, we'll be watching to know how you're getting on. You seem to be a little ahead of us there. So from certainly from a Tradfest point of view, we'll be watching your developments and hopefully to be learning something from your experience there. Finally, before you go, and I've been asking this to our guests over the last few weeks, uh, what sort of music or could you recommend three or four performers that you've been listening to during lockdown to get you through all of this? Who have you been listening to? Well, I have been been listening to Boxing Banjo because they were coming out. So I was sort of getting ready. If we're looking at Irish bands, I was listening to their um, new album. Um, I've actually been watching and listening to, a, do you know a band called Jiggy? I know a band called Jiggy because one or two of them were students of mine in years gone by. Well, I've actually been watching what they're doing. And, you know, if we're talking about bringing community together and, um, looking at, you know, connecting. I've just been looking at what they've doing and they've got some amazing projects. So I've been listening to their music and looking to see what they've done. Um, pretty lively, uh, creative film clips and music. music. So that's that, that's that one. And then the other is I am listening to Colin Farrell, Kevin Crawford and Patrick Ducey together some videos for our festival for a bit of a taste of the festival online uh, which is on there now if anyone wants to have a look but um, I've been listening to some of those trad favorite trad players and really just trying to soak up a bit of a cheats way but I, <laughs> I'm listening a lot hoping that when I pick up my fiddle I can just play those tunes. <laughs> I was going to ask have you taken up the fiddle and joined them? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I have a bit. I've got a list of tunes. And if anyone wants to um, look up, uh, there's a tune called ISO City Limits, which is uh, uh, two sisters, Vicar and Linda Buller, and they're Australian artists, but they've done a takeoff of the Nutbush City Limits, but it's called ISO City Limits. Quite funny. And uh, that's, that's going around a bit. So it's uh, a bit of a dance move as well. Well, on that cultural note, Una McElwain, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
we'll say thanks a million it's been a real pleasure speaking to you we look forward to bigger and better National Celtic Festival in 2021 and hopefully we'll all be together again in music at Tradfest next year Una thank you so much fantastic thanks a lot Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We look forward to when we're all together again in music at next year's Tradfest, provisionally set for the 27th through the 31st of January 2021. And while we're all waiting for the day when it's safe to travel again, you can fill your heart with Ireland by going to ireland.com. Ireland.